how did how, so tell me about your last name because when i first heard bobby butters like honestly that name if it wasn't real you'd think it was made up like so bobby many people oh, ask me if it's my stage name and i'm like no it's my birth name it's on my birth certificate <laughs> Dude, that is amazing bobby butters <laughs> um the only thing better would be like bobby knuckles if you're a boxer oh, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how what does butters come from what's the background of butters um so i've done a bit of research into this um so my dad is originally from kent which is near london in the uk um, and that's where like a long line of the Butters family comes from. But apparently it does originate from Scotland. Um, and then the Scots took it down to London. So that's kind of all I really know. Um, I don't know like where the name come from, whether it's got anything to do with the dairy products or anything. So yeah, I'd hey. like to uh, delve more into it. <laughs> I tell you what, you guys can make a killer dairy empire with that last name. Oh yeah, that's a brand so new. Many people, so many people try and do like cafe names, like Bobby's Butties or something like that, because we call like a sandwich a butty up north, like well, yeah, in this general area of England, um, and like loads of people try and like pun it onto a cafe name. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if it'd work, but <laughs> how often? How often do you get the same people after you hit a lift and they're like, oh, that was like butter. Like, <laughs> oh, shut. Yeah. After years, you're like, man, shut the fuck up. I don't oh, want to hear that no more. I'm oh, done. The best is uh, I've done supply teaching and stuff. Oh, gosh. And obviously, people, the students, uh, I'll have to refer to my last name. So when you go, and I'm a supply teacher, so people don't know who I am. They see this, like, short girl coming in and like this big curly hair and then I say hi I'm Miss Butters and the class oh my days you just hear like all the little sniggers like oh that's funny and then they try and like think about loads of different puns and one of my first days of my teaching someone said Bobby Butters bread or like Butters bread and I literally said to the kid I was like right I've heard that so many times. I'm 25 years old now. Think of something <laughs> original, right? And, and, I'll, and I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> so you shut that shit down, bro. You know sold it. <laughs> yeah, the kid's like, how old was this kid? Like 14. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Well, 14, whatever. You're ready for it. If yeah, the kid I'm, was like I'm seven. I'm talking high school. I'm talking high school. Like, but I, I don't mind it. Like, it's, I find it hilarious, like, how people, like, find it funny. So, like, I remember I said to one of the classes, like, a bit older, I said, if you think of a good pun, then I will give you credit for it. Like, yeah. this will be really good. And one of the kids came up with, because I'm a supply teacher and trying to get on their side, um, and they said something like, um, something along the lines of try not to butter me up too much and i was like yes i like that really oh i thought they, i thought you would have heard some shit like that a million times too here's the thing when i they haven't heard that no. oh damn 25 and you didn't hear it i could have i could have done that you know what i'm hearing the i'm hearing that one i'm like shit i could have done that um i got a, <laughs> I got a friend who you know jim carrey obviously everybody knows jim yeah. carrey and i have a friend who who's telling me she was at like on some kind of call at work and the guy on the other line's name was Jim Carrey. And the, at the end of the call, she goes, all righty then. And the guy goes, Oh fuck. Oh, you no. got to He was, he was so upset. He's like, are you kidding me? He oh. totally no soul that she's like, what? And I'm like, do you know how many times he probably heard some shit like that 
Alrighty then. At the end of the call, and he's like, "Go fuck yourself." Um, he's, he's like, "Now Jim Carrey's been famous since the '90s." You know what I mean? More like 2020. It's like, yeah. do you understand how many people probably said that shit to him? And she's like, oh, man, I couldn't resist. I'm like, well, it is what it is. It's I like, um, I also knew a guy. He's my age. So I'm 40. He's 40. And his name is Michael Jackson. I shit you not. His name is Michael Jackson. And, and, and a girl that I knew was dating him. And I was like, why would his parents call him Michael if his last name's Jackson? The rassles. And she goes, she goes, um, she goes, no, but I talked to his parents about it. They actually had him before Michael Jackson was famous. And I was like, that's it. I was like, uh, Michael Jackson was famous when he was like five. <laughs> like Michael Jackson was in the Jackson five and famous in like the sixties and shit. Like Michael Jackson. I'm like, no, his parents are assholes. She, Cause she believed it. She was no, no. They had him after Michael Jackson was famous. Like, no, they, they, they fucking did it. Because, because I'm his age, and Michael Jackson was famous long before I was born. I'm like, they were assholes, man. That's a bullshit. They called their kid Michael Jackson. This poor bastard's walking around like, well, I'm fucked. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. What the oh, shit is that Yeah, man. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> I know, man. You, there's some things you don't, especially like a Michael Jackson, it's a hell of a shoes to fill. You know what I mean? Like, that's uber that's famous. Right. That's, that's the king of pop. That's over-the-top yeah. famous. Oh, my gosh. It feels relatively obscure. Uh, last name, you name someone off to someone like, like a, a famous long jumper. All right, whatever. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's long jump. But if it's fucking Michael Jackson, this kid is, doesn't get a, a fucking prayer. Yeah. Oh no. Wait till that kid goes to school and oh, kids are cruel. That's it. Man. He's gonna. Yeah. Oh man, kids are cruel, man. You don't need to give them anything. You don't need to give them much. Did Did you grow up with um siblings? Yes. Yes. W what siblings you got? I so I've got a younger brother. That's all. And how much younger is your younger your younger brother? Yeah, five Five years younger than me. Oh wow. So that's yeah. a bit of a stretch. See, I was, I had a younger sister who's six years younger and I had an older brother two years older. Like, what okay. was your relationship with your brother? Because me and my, me and my brother were close enough that we were like friends. So if you're bored or like, we lived in the same room, bunk beds at one point. You know right. what I mean? Like, like yeah, it was yeah. that childhood. <laughs> so your buddies, if it's, if you're bored on the weekend, you're going to play together. But you're around each other 24 seven. So you're going to fight all the time too. one of those. But then the younger sister was young enough. She's six years younger that like when I'm 12, she's six. When I'm 18, she's 12. Like it's a spread where when you're 12, you can't relate to a six year old. You're, you're, no. you're babies, you're babysitting. And then yeah, when you're, yeah. when you're 18 getting drunk with your friends and doing God knows what your 12 year old sister, you don't relate to her again. You're like, get out of my face you know what I mean it's so different yeah. only when I was like an adult was like now I mean whatever we've been a, like it doesn't matter when you're like in your 30s in your 20s six years is nothing but um it was different growing up how was it with your sibling when you were growing up we definitely I think had our little spats um for sure um but I think for the most part I like almost acted like a second mom in a way yeah. a little bit um you know i i try my best not to be like overprotective or anything like that but i would try and help him 
as best I can. And I think it's only been probably since I moved away to uni. Um, so I haven't lived at home for nearly six years and that's where my brother still lives. Um, and it's taken that to kind of step away from that a little bit and let him um, find his own way, so to speak. But like, if my brother had anything um, wrong at school or anything like that, we had the kind of relationship where he could tell me anything. Um, and I do think he's gone a little bit of like a, a small mother role in his growing up. It's, it's, I mean, I know you mean where like parents like want to be like, you could tell me anything, but let's be fucking honest. I'm not telling to my parents about certain shit. And there's yeah. things that you're just like, yeah, nah, probably nah, ma, yeah. nah, dad. <laughs> what happened on the weekend is it coming your way. And um, that's where the older sibling is going to help you out. It's yeah. different. Yeah. The older sibling is like, you're a girl and he's a guy. Yeah. On the flip side, he probably gets way better girl advice when he goes to you. Hopefully. Hopefully that's what he thinks. <laughs> Would he go to you for advice like that? I, he has a little bit, like nothing to, he's quite, he's quite private. Um, he's not like, he's not super, ironically, he's not super extrovert, but he is a performing arts person. So he's one of those people, like put him on stage, is a whole different character. Um, but he's not like a super social person. Um, and so has come to me a little bit, but doesn't like, like fully open up if that makes sense it's quite private and things yeah. so when he does open up like you know i just sort of listen i try not to pry too much a little bit yeah. just, just so he's uncomfortable um but yeah it, as he's got older he's got more sociable but he is quite like uh, an introverted character except Which, put him on stage <laughs> what's that sorry except when you put him on stage and he sings dances and everything it's, holy it's shit so he's, a, he's an entertainer. He's a performer. Yeah, yeah. He's only twenty-one uh, now. Um, so like he left college last year. But yeah, he's done like all sorts of. He's like performing on stage and also everything. He was like really little as well. Um, his first production when he was like ten, eleven, and like he wanted one of the main parts. It was like a comedian part, and he all the teachers were like, "Well, we just like you know, oh, we don't think he's going to be able to have confidence to do it." And he blew the show away honestly everyone was talking about him at the end and me and my mom we went to watch it on the first night and we were both like oh my god where did this come from is it, <laughs> but he, is won't, he won't sing to us yet he, he still won't sing in front of family or anything put him on a stage in front of a thousand people uh, he's a different person isn't that fucking wild first off is my how's my audio on your end I can hear you perfectly. Okay, beautiful. Okay. We'll, we'll probably use your audio because mine's breaking up a stitch on my end, but that's cool. We'll use yours. Isn't it crazy how some people could be in their average day-to-day, -day, everyday life? You're a little bit shy. You put them in a room. Like, like there, there are people like that who are entertainers who, um, you know, you see them in movies. You see them in plays. You see them, like, uh, on stage, wherever it is. And you think they must be wild, like, extroverted. So if they come out and hang out with you and your friends, you're thinking they're like, you're going to entertain me. You're going to whatever the shit, like you're going to be that loudest mouth in the room. And then they come out and you're like, what's with, what's with you? You mad at us? You don't like us? Or, and they're, and they're, it's like, no, this is the way I am. I'm not here to entertain you. As a matter of yeah. fact, like, it's so weird that, but that's the way it goes. That's, that's uh, actually happens like fairly often, I think, but it yeah. would blow you away. It's almost like when they hit the stage, they're wearing a mask or something where it's like, this isn't necessarily me. If you're playing a character, 
you're almost freer. It's almost easier. It's, it's harder to be yourself, easier to be as someone else. Yeah. That make, yeah. Sometimes you can be like, when I'm, some, when I'm this guy on stage, this character, even if I'm Ryan Lapidat or six, man, just call me six pack Lapidat. And it's, I could convince myself, well, it's not really me. So it's easier to hide behind the, the, the persona I've created of six pack Lapidat. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. just giving you, when, when I was on a reality TV show, um, the TV producers, I was six pack Lapidat and it was reality TV, but it wasn't necessarily reality TV. So I had to, um, I was myself, but on the flip side, they wanted me to be like, a little extra and like, like, uh, if I, it was, we were doing competitions. If I lost, I had to pretend that I would dispute a decision, even though I never would in real life, but they'd be like, no, you gotta be like, no, that was bullshit. He, he cheated when he clearly didn't shit like that. And they were like, just, they're like, you're yourself, but you can hide behind, just be extra, be out there, be whatever. And then, um, initially you're uncomfortable with it, but after a while you're like, fuck, I could fill up a, you know, you're like, what am I going to say when the cameras are rolling? Because you have no script. But then it's true where when you somewhat hide behind, when you tell yourself, I don't, you know, I'm just putting on a bit of a persona. Yeah. Bam, it just happens. And it's weird how that can happen, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Massively so. Do you, have you, did you ever get into any kind of like acting and any kind of like entertainment like that? No, no, I did like a school production, you know, like when you finish like, uh, it's called like primary school, like you know, or um, like you're in nursery or something like that. I've done like those sorts of things, but nothing like what I've ever done um, at all. I played an instrument in an orchestra. That's like, I guess the most performancey type thing I've done. And um, so he just like gone on his own path, which is awesome. What? What? So how did you end up finding sports? Um, basically, I guess it all started from home. I guess um, in terms of. My family aren't really into fitness or anything like that, but when I was like three years old, my uh, mum and dad had a multi-gym in their garage. Now, probably like old school one where, you know, you've got like stacks of weights and various attachments. And I used to like go play on it when I was like three. And Holy my mom... <laughs> okay, so you started early. <laughs> You're three years old, fucking repping out. Like your dad's like, okay. I don't, I don't think she's going to do acting. Yeah, yeah. She, she's, she, they're like, what do you think she's going to be when she grows up? I wonder. Fucking three years old doing black pull-downs. Wow. <laughs> this is a tough one to figure out. I know. I wish, like, phones and stuff was around, like, when I was three, like, just to record it, just to be like, what, what's good? I obviously don't remember. I just remember the garage and seeing what it looked like. So, obviously, I'm so young. Um, and then, kind of, like, from there, I got, like, my own weights when I was 11. I brought like um, like a cheap set of weights, you know, like the thin barbells and the chat up to them, just comes in a little set. Um, and I brought that when I was 11. And before that, like my mum and dad had like gathered like little things. Um, they had like a punch bag in the garage and stuff. And I used to like, like just mess around. I used to like make up exercises and I used to do all sorts of like various things. And then it wasn't until I got to 16 and then I wanted to be a personal trainer for most of my childhood. And that was when oh, I went shit. to the gym. I mean, this is, this is wild. So what, what do you think, like, this is extremely young to be driven towards just like weightlifting. And here's the thing, when, when, you're, when you're a child, um, usually, because weightlifting is, is monotonous, it's the same thing over and over. 
it's discipline because you have to do it like every day. If you want to do it, you have to do it every day. It's not like um, yeah. oh, I signed my 10-year-old up for soccer, sorry, football or, um, or whatever it is. So once or twice a week, you know what I mean? Or whatever, yeah. like, like baseball. Yeah. No, no, no. Weightlifting, it's like if you want to get weightlifting, you got to get at it like five to six days a week. Um, it's the same thing, repetition over and over. You're often by yourself. You're not playing with friends doing it. So when it comes to kids enrolling in things, weightlifting is one of the last things that people gravitate towards. And, uh, so it's, it's wild that at your age as a child, you're like, this is what I want to do. Like what, put it this way. When I was a kid, I started weightlifting, but uh, my older brother, I'm five nine. My other brother's six one and a half, and he's two years older. So my whole childhood, again, he was my best friend. We were like, like whatever. But again, we were around each other twenty four seven. So we'd we'd scrap it out. And when you're kids, you scrap like for real scrap. So I was like, I gotta start lifting weights so this <laughs> can't punk me. Like I can't lose every argument. This, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> this is this isn't gonna work. So I started lifting weights. So I had like a purpose to do it, but do you think like, what, did you have an actual motive for it or did you just start lifting? Cause at that age, the monotonous, the discipline, the, what do you think drove you towards it? It's, it's difficult to say, I guess. Like, like I think about this a lot, like, where did it, where did it come from? Yeah, it is bizarre. Um, And I did just like, it's weird. Like I just loved lifting stuff. And like, I'd be, I wouldn't have a clue what I was lifting and I'd just be like, like lift it. And I remember like being in uh, one of my, like I was much, I was about five or six. And I remember being in like some of my friend's rooms a bit older than me. I think it was a bad friend. And I was in his bedroom and like, there was like a barbell and I just like picked it up and lifted it above my head. And like, I had no idea out of what it was I just wanted to like lift it like it's really really strange to think about it I remember one thing that was inspirational I reckon quite influential um, when I was younger is the film Makiyawa um because it was a matter of I'm gonna train me hard and I'm gonna go and achieve something and it was that kind of I just remember being like I just want to like I want to see what my body can do. I just want to. I remember I taught myself to do one line push ups because I watched Rocky um, and I just used to like mess around with it. And I just liked moving my body and lifting things. It's, it's wild how it's almost like just for no other reason in your DNA that it, it sounds cheesy. It's like, but how do you explain when a five year old's like, I need to see if I can lift this? I got to see if this thing can yeah. go over my head. And nobody's yeah. encouraging, no one's nothing. You're by yourself. Like, you're, you're not by yourself, but you're, no one's telling you in the room, let's see if you could do that. Usually you get yeah. coaxing, coaxed into it. And you're like, yeah, yeah. let me give this a go. And then to keep going back day after day like that. What did your parents think? Were your parents into, like, weightlifting or anything like that? Were you watching? No. No, no. My, uh, my mom has always kind of tried to lose weight like that was kind of her like main thing like she put on like baby weight when she had me and stuff so she's always kind of like coming in out of like the gym and things and tried some home workouts and stuff so that's the sort of stuff that I was seeing my dad was a cyclist he was like an endurance oh. machine completely <laughs> opposite to me yeah so I, I used to go out cycling with him and then I'd be like I'm dying like, my legs could not take could not keep up with my dad um so that's kind of like kind of it really yeah I didn't really have any 
anybody who was like, lifting weights or like doing anything. I didn't even know what powerlifting was until I was like 16. Um, but I was de definitely just sort of drawn to it. I do remember once at a primary school, this uh, when I was at primary school, um, I must we must have been about like year seven. So we're about seven, eight years old, I think. Not year seven. Year three, seven, eight years old. And um, we were like doing this challenge where we had buckets of water and the girls got given a one bucket and the guys got given two buckets. And I was like, oh, I want to try and see if I can lift up two buckets and walk the length of this field. And I did, and I was like, oh, this is sweet. I just lifted up two buckets. And I remember that like really vividly. Like, I remember like picking it up and being like, oh, this is awesome. I get to lift up two buckets and walk. It's really strange. <laughs> I love that you were like, the, the teacher thinks they're evening it out, and you're like, take your fucking one bucket out of my face. <laughs> You're going to load up two buckets on my back. I'm not, you know, who do you think you're playing with? I love that you're like, what the shit? Don't slap my face like that. It's weird how, um, I guess it is kind of just, well, first off, did your dad use that machine or did he buy that machine with intentions to use it? And he's like, I'm probably going to get rid of this thing. I'm never using it. And then he's like, oh shit, my daughter's in there working away and I'm, you know, putting me to shame. And I, now I can't tell it. Uh, yeah, I'd read, it got it got sold a few late years later. I think they used it a bit and then didn't use it. And yeah, just kind of gathered it a bit in the garage and they sold it and then got some other different bits and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't think it got used excessively. <laughs> so, so when you were growing up then, before you found powerlifting, who were the people that you looked up to? I get asked this question so much. And like, I never really know an answer, if that makes sense. Um, I, it, it doesn't, you know, here's the thing. When I was like super young, I don't really remember, because it's hard to remember shit. You have like the immediate people in your life, like, well, I had my older brother, I had my parents, but you don't remember specific athletes. The biggest thing, if I try to remember when I'm younger, is like, remember specific events. So I can remember when we were watching the Olympics and I was a child yeah. and seeing somebody win, I didn't super duper know their background cause you're a kid, but you're like, you remember that event and it impacted you. So you're like, well, that must've, I must have some feelings attached to it. If I remember it all these years later, little things like that. And then not until high school do I remember specific idols, but maybe yeah. there were events or something. And then later on in high school, you're like, I think I'm starting to gravitate towards these particular people. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that's definitely been a theme and maybe not even just towards sport, but like I remember like having like teachers as idols because they would talk really like enthusiastically about a subject. It might not be PE, it might be it might be science or anything. And I was really drawn towards people who were passionate about what they did and they worked really hard and they were dedicated to what they did. And I feel like so like I had PE teachers that I looked up to, but I also had science teachers. I had various people in my life. I loved school as well. I loved school right from when I was at nursery. And I always, I could never wait to go back to school. Like I was in like the sports teams. I was in before school clubs, after school homework clubs. I was like, I lived at school. Um, so potentially like teachers were quite a big influence um, in that respect. You know, it's funny. If you're so into school like that, you'd be the, the typical nerd that people pick on, except you're also moving two buckets up that hill so nobody's 
nobody's sweating you. Everybody, give her space. Give her room. You know? <laughs> give her a wide berth here. Nobody <laughs> wants to get in your way. Um, yeah, no, I know what you mean. In terms of, like, passion, you know, if, if some people, like, this, some people would picture going into the, to a, a garage or a basement and doing the same thing over and over monotonously, rep after rep, day after day like that, and that's, like, punishment. That's like fucking hard labor, beating up your body, but it's all perspective. It's all about how you approach it. Here's like, this is, I don't know if this totally fits, but it's kind of the way it kind of does. So there was this one guy, it's the story goes, this one guy gets a glimpse of hell. And so the glimpse is he sees these people in a row and, and they're shriveling away, starving. They're shriveling away to nothing. And, but they will never die from starvation, but they're starving. And they're shriveling up and they're wilting away, but they will never fully die. That's the, that's the kicker. And in front of them, 20 feet away, is all the food they would ever desire. And they have, and, and the devil's giving you a spoon and you could reach the food, but that spoon is too fucking long. So when you bring it towards you, you'll never get your fucking mouth. You know what I mean? That's the catch. Yeah, yeah. It's the old... I could grab it, but I can't have it. I want it, and I'm dying for it, literally, but not quite, right? And it'll go like that for an eternity. And the guy sees it. That's hell. Then this angel takes this dude and shows him heaven. And the kicker is he sees a row full of people, healthy, happy, laughing, the whole nine. And he looks in front of those people, and there's all the food they would desire, 20 feet ahead of them, and they can't reach it. They can't walk up to it again. So the only thing they have to eat it is also a 20-foot-long spoon. And he's like, why is this different? And the angel goes, because they're feeding each other. Nice. And it's one of the not trying to just feed themselves. It's one of those deals where it's so, so the morals are obviously work together. You get that. But um, – it's also, you, you can be put in the exact same scenario as someone else, and it's how you approach it. You could yeah. be, it's, it can either be your hell or your heaven. Exact same scenario. Exact Absolutely. same scenario. And it's, yeah. it's kind of like, if you approach life, some people could be, we could be living in the same life, living in the same house, living in the same whatever. If you don't have passion in something you love, if you don't approach it, like, and I know what you mean where I've met people, they just don't have, they just, I got a nine to five job, I go home. I watch Netflix, put the kids to bed. I go to, you know, I'll, I'll whatever the shit that I go to sleep and then wake up the next morning, get the kids to get the kids to bed, go to work, yeah. nine to five, come home. Yeah. Whereas other people, like I don't relate to somebody who doesn't have something they're getting at, something they're going for. It doesn't have to be physical, but I know what you mean. We're like the teachers just, the teacher that wasn't an athlete, but they had a subject or a passion for your geography teacher. They love to travel and they like, oh, wait until you see the Great Wall of China. And they talk about it and they love it. Or like a history teacher who's like, I can't wait to tell you about fucking whoever, Aristotle. My God, what a fascinating life. And they get in and it's like, I, I'm like, I, I don't even need to be super into the subject. I can hear you talk about it. And I'll follow up questions with it. And, and I, I know you mean where I get that. I could spend an afternoon with that person. Whereas there are some people, if you don't have passion, like that's almost like, that's tough for me. That's tough yeah, for me. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing here? You yeah. know what I mean? Where it's like, oh man, I can't. Ah. It's and, hard um, to relate to. Yeah. 
it, and that's where um, I think the kicker is some people will, like for me, money is not passion. So if your thing is you're chasing money, I don't get super inspired by that though. No, no. Right? Like, oh, well, you want to live right, but it's not something I'm going to spend the afternoon hearing you talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, shit. But uh, so I get what you mean when you say like, yeah, man, I think my teachers were, were kind of my idols. When you, when you found, so how did you end up finding powerlifting then? Did you have idols who were like athletes? Because you were, obviously you ended up becoming an athlete. Um, yeah. How did you find powerlifting? And did you, did you have some athletes, like even from other sports you looked up to that you remember? I remember loving watching the Olympics, as you were saying. Um, none of my family was really into sport at all. So like we didn't even watch sport in our house. But I remember if it ever came on at school, like, or if I was at my nan's house and they were like even watching cricket or something, I'd be really interested in like who the athletes were. Or like I definitely like I could feel myself being drawn towards it. And then at school I played all sports. I remember my PE teacher was like a really good hockey player. So like she was like really interesting to me because she was like at the top of her game in like the county or whatever and I found it really interesting. So I think that's where kind of that came from. Um so yeah, I've always been drawn to athletic people, I think, um, in respect of sport. In terms of powerlifting, um, I didn't know what powerlifting was. I'd never met anybody from powerlifting until I went to my first competition. Um, so I uh, went to college at 16 and I did a personal training course. So I was able to do it at college for a full year. It was a fantastic course. And part of that course, you had to teach each other how to do the compound lifts and squat bench deadlift, etc. etc. And I just remember being in the gym. Um, this is the first time I was allowed to go into a gym and train freely. And it was like, oh, it was like I got into a playground. Like a kid in a candy store, honestly. I was just like, oh my god, I want to do everything. Um, and was I was with the guys from my course and we were like deadlifting. And then someone asked me, just like, how much could you lift? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and like, I didn't really like, have any idea of like what records were or anything. And they said, Jackie, you could lift 100 kilos. And I was like, Here we go. And I deadlifted 100 kilos. And then one of my uh, college tutors um, came over and asked me, have you ever heard of powerlifting? And I'd know. That day I went home, looked it up, entered a competition, two months later, I competed and then that's kind of and I was six I was well I would have been 17 by the time I competed so yeah that's kind of my little entryway <laughs> it's it's it'd be funny if someone's like um how much do you think you lift and you're like a fucking lot <laughs> a fucking lot I don't want to give a number I don't want to get specific but you'll be impressed it, when you looked it up, what year was this, by the way? So this would have been, when did I leave school? I left school in 2011, so I'd have competed in 2012. So this is a different era of powerlifting then. This is before the IPF on the, on the international level went unequipped, classic, raw, whatever you want to call yeah. it. So and this is before Instagram blew up with it. This is before, yeah. like, this is before all the big names of this era. This is... Like when you looked it up, this is a, t for anyone listening, this would be a totally different landscape. 
This I is, didn't even have social media either until that, I was 19. So. I mean, I mean, I mean, there was Facebook around, but Facebook and powerlifting didn't it, because the way Facebook is set up, you had your your it was basically your connections of who you already knew is like Facebook wasn't set up for finding new people, finding hobbies, finding interests. Facebook was yeah. set up. This is my, the people I know in my life. And then the six degrees of separation beyond that, maybe where uh, a friend of a friend and, and it branched out like this, but it, Facebook isn't set up for that. Whereas when Instagram blew up, that was literally like, that's where you could become Instagram famous. People didn't really become Facebook famous because it yeah. wasn't set up like that. So um, yeah, I mean, this is, and even then until the IPF decided we're going classic unequipped raw, whatever you want to call it, it didn't blow, blow. I was in powerlifting as well at that time period. And um, I wasn't even with the IPF because I didn't like equipment at all. Like I was, I just don't, didn't want to get into equipment. And, um, but I remember thinking, Man, if the IPF would go a classic division, I would so jump. Like, I'm jumping ship into the IPF, first off. And I think the, the public would jump into it. Um, so when you first looked into the I, or powerlifting, was there people that you found and started following, or was it still just a singular pursuit? It was all pretty singular. I had, there was, I remember, because I, I don't know if you've heard of BDFPA, that's British yeah. Drug Free Powerlifting Federation. I was in the World Drug Free Powerlifting Federation before the IPF. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I did that. Because they had go. a classic division, that's why. They did, they yeah, were, yeah. They actually had, they were one of the few federations that were actually for real international and had a classic. So I was like, oh, that's cool because when they would have worlds, they would have people from around the world. And I was like, yeah, oh, shit, true. okay. Yeah, I was fortunate that I went to a WDFPA one. Um, Obviously, it's quite small, nothing like... Not like, like this. Like, not like IPF. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where uh, my first federation was. And I just remember there was the guy who told me about powerlifting, um, what it was, and then he was training a guy at, at college. So that kind of like... I was kind of like, well, I was really kind of exposed to, I guess. Um, and this guy was really helpful. So like, he was the tutor, but... I remember looking back, he would come and ask me how my training was going. And he was there on the competition day. And I had to, I had no idea what I needed. So I, I was my first competition, ironically, in a Michael Jackson t-shirt. Um, We've come full circle. I know, I know. Holy crap. <laughs> um, uh, running trainers and some shorts. I had to borrow a belt. I didn't know what, I didn't. I didn't know what a belt was. It was massive. Like there's a picture, right, still on my Facebook to this day that someone found of me with this massive belt on. I borrowed someone's socks and then with these bright pink things with love hearts on. And that's what I did. It was a push-pull competition. So there wasn't a squat in my first one. Um, so yeah, and I just sort of like sort of like went went with it. Like, right, what do I do? <laughs> Next one with it. It's, 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 um, well, first off, what worlds did you go to? What year was it? Oh, I've got the t-shirt, you know, I've literally got it over here. Uh, I think it was 2013. Let's have a look. Yeah. Don't know if you can see that. Yeah. It, which, uh, where was that? That was in Scotland, I uh, see. In Scotland. Yeah. In Glasgow. Yeah. Shit. I was at 2012. I missed you, but I would have seen oh. you. Ah, oh, damn. How weird would that have been? I if know. I was like, if, if you came on the podcast and go, Bobby? <laughs> almost 10 years later holy shit but um 
it's funny you said you showed up at the first competition not knowing you needed. I shit you not. So the first powerlifting competition I went to, same thing. The, the one, so I was in the world drug free, but I also did, because I would do any, basically any competition that uh, had classic division because I didn't want equipment. So I would, wasn't like loyal to one. Now I'm just straight up, I'll stick in the IPF because there's so many comps, whatever. But at the time, to fill, if you want to compete several times a year, you might have to go to several different feds. And this one fed had um, tested and untested, same day lifting. So they had, and they had classic and multiply guys with like, so they had the suits on, untested. These are those dudes who are like 300 pound men in multiply squat suits who are like, they look like gorillas. They're like massive dudes, right? And, and, and by the way, this was my first, so this is before I found the World Drug Free Paralyzing Fed. I, I went in this one and uh, this is my first competition. So I'm wow. like, holy shit, this, this is a weird world. And I was really like, I had no idea what I was signing up for. And, uh, but here's, I learned a lot in this day. So I showed up, not only did I not bring everything I needed, um, I kid you not, I brought the wrong shoes. I brought like, Let's say shoes with air in them or some shit, like like squishy. That's what I had. Yeah. People yep. are like, my friend, you try to squat with in squishy shoes, you're gonna lose your balance. It's gonna be like you're gonna get hurt. They're like an equipment check. They're like, what is this your first meet or something? I'm like, yeah, man, like for real. Uh-huh. I'm and um, so I was like nervous as shit. And they're like, you you, you don't want to do this, son. You 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 gotta figure this out. Go talk to somebody. I'm like, who am I gonna talk to, man? I. I looked around, and I'm, I was older though, I was in my 20s, and I look around the room, and it's literally like dudes who are the multiply, juiced up, like they're a grunt, they got ammonia salts, they're smelling ammonia, and they're smashing weights, and I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm nervous as shit, and I don't know these dudes from a hole, from, from a hole in the wall, and they're like, talk to somebody, figure this out, because it ain't going to work. So I'm like, holy shit. And I remember asking a guy and his name to me is lost in history. This is like 13 years ago or something. But this dude was a super heavyweight, untested, multiply. And he had ammonia capsules in his ear. Um, you know, like that dude walking around and he was grunting. He was grunting in the whole nine, but he was my height and his foot was my size. Now think of how much of a dumb question this is, I was going to walk up to this guy and ask him, can I borrow your shoes? We're lifting the same day. In between every, every fucking flight, I guess, like I can you continuously take your shoes off and I borrow your squat shoes and then squat and then take them off and give them back to you. When your flight goes on, then you go and you squat and do whatever. And then you give them back it, like, like he's my father or something. Like he's going to, you understand? Like, you know, like this is a dude, like I can't, this is like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this though. Because like, I'm like, fuck it. It is what it is, I guess. Looking back, I'm thinking, why the shit did I ask this guy? But it, <laughs> must have been, reasons. it must have been his, it must have been his foot size because the sure shit wasn't the personality he was giving off. And I'm like, fucking, I'm going in and I'm asking this guy. And um, so I remember asking him, like, oh, shit, man, like, this is my first competition. I don't know what I'm doing. This is, listen, I was on Facebook like six months at this point. This is like early days. So you could, he probably could understand, like, 
I didn't know where to get the information from. I just fucking was all a gym bro who was like, let me try this out. And this huge juice pig multiply in the zone, listen to heavy metal, angry dude was like, don't worry, brother. I got you. Yeah. I was like, what? I was like, like, oh, but the way he said it was, you're not, I'm not just going to give you my shoes. Every fucking event, I'll kick my shoes off and you were literally going to walk in my shoes. But he was like handling me and he was like helping me warm up. He's like, what are you starting off on? And I'm like, well, I was thinking around this range and he's like, all right. And then he would be like, load it. the dude just, like, um, he, I, didn't, I didn't deserve it. He didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I could think of so many people who'd be like, this isn't my problem, man. I'm, I'm hitting PRs today. I really don't want to hold your hand, kick off my shoes, the whole nine. First of all, you know what I mean? Like, this is too much. Yeah. yeah. My man stepped up. And I left that day with, like, so many stereotypes broken in my mind's eye. And, uh, and I'm like, first off, like I'm hooked for powerlifting. Like that was it with that, with that experience. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it, it, it shapes and molds you and it breaks down a lot of uh, what we think powerlifters are like. Like when people see us in the gym and they see people getting, well, you know, holy shit, Bobby, you, before you lift, I don't got to tell you, you get so amped up. Holy <laughs> talk about emotion. Bobby, you, hold man, uh, when people see us, I remember, okay, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but I remember people telling me after they met me in the gym and they would see me pacing before I'm about to hit something heavy. And, um, and they're like, oh man, I thought you'd be so intense and like standoffish. And then when they talk to me, I'm like, I mean, I love talking to people and I'm like easygoing and they're like, so not what, so not what I thought. And I'm like, my friend, that's like 30 seconds before a lift, but that's not me. Um, where do you, first off, were you always like that? in terms of before you approach the bar or is it something that you developed a and then because like when you're like 16 and didn't know nothing and nobody knew you were good you didn't know you were good did you approach the bar like that hyped up and people are like holy shit she's on a whole nother level of serious even before you were lifting serious weight a and b where did that come from so um I think the answer to your first question is a bit of both, I would say. I've always been vocal about like, like even if it's like a bit of a grunt here or whatever, ever since, ever since I started. Um, but that's developed over time. So like I I actively watch myself get hyped now. You know, like on the on the on the video playing everything. I watch it back and I, I I like think about these things and like how is it developed? Like why am I doing this? Like why why do I feel the need to like to do what I'm doing? So I can understand more and more. Um and as I've as I've progressed through my career, I do weightlift in the middle as well there. Um I don't get a special high, but like when I came back um, to powerlifting and I was with the GBPF that that's when the height really started to, to increase and it's almost like the more it means to me and the more nervous I am the more hype comes out and it's I'm talking to myself and I'm, I'm telling myself what I need to do and like when I'm when I'm shouting whatever it is I'm shouting like I think before my before my spot, like um, at the beginning of the week, I shout the pack 
I shouted at myself because I knew to get this lift, I need to attack the descent. So that's what I said to myself. And like, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm constantly talking to myself. And it's something that the more experienced I've got, the more nervous I think I get, to be honest. And I've always been a very nervous person. Even at my first competition, I was very nervous. And like a bit of hype would come out. And I don't know what's going on then. Um, but I understand it a bit more now. Um, and I constantly question myself, like, is this right? Like, is this helping you lift? And I truly believe that, yes, it does. Because I've kind of experimented with it. I've had competitions where I've been so nervous and like I'm trying to control my heart rate and I'm staying calmer. Well, I noticed the difference um, for sure. Um, and in terms of where it comes from, I think it comes from coaching myself um, and, and also a lack of self-confidence. I think that's kind of where... It, it's also come from so when I'm coaching myself I'm convincing myself that I can do this and I'm building up this self-belief of this weight's on the bar for a reason you can do this you you can you know exactly what it is you need to do and all the nerves kind of like they get changed almost it's so difficult because unless you're like in at the time it's so difficult to explain um but I do feel like it's my nerves are literally coming out in in this kind of like aggressive, very loud kind of attack mode. Um, and there's a time and a place that that kind of comes out and when that's useful. Um, so that's kind of where where it is at the minute. It, it, it 100% makes sense. Look, even, even on a scientific level, we know it, it's okay. So this is interesting. I posted... Um, the last podcast I had, I talked about like fear of failure and fear of like, like dealing with anxiety, performance anxiety, stage fright. I remember one of the comments was like, fear of failure, eh, come on, like boo-hoo, whatever. And I remember I'm thinking like, if you've never felt fear of failure, performance anxiety, whatever, all that means to me, well, A, you're either lying and trying to be Joe tough guy and you just can't admit you feel fear which is silly yeah. you're not a human being if you don't you're not any yeah. kind of animal there's no animal walking earth that doesn't have fear a yeah. but b how often do you step outside of your comfort zone and, and reach and reach in front of like for a goal that everyone's watching and and it's big and it, if and you could either hit it out the park or fall on your face in front of everybody whether it's sports or whether you're working, if you're just working your Joe nine to five job, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. If you're working your Joe nine to five job, your safe, comfortable job, and you never work outside your bubble, all right, man, maybe you just always avoid those situations. So you don't have too much fear of failure, but quit your job and pursue an, become an entrepreneur and pursue something where you're all in. And if you don't fucking make it, you ain't going to pay rent. Talk to me then. But if you yeah. don't make it, you're living the dream and you're your own boss. Well, only if you're willing to face that fear are you going to live that or pursue a sporting athletic event where you, all right, if you're just on the lower levels and you're just lifting for yourself and no one cares, all right, maybe you don't feel fear. Make it to a world international level where you have your country and your flag on your chest and the world is watching on the street and your friends and your family are, are up 
so many different time zones in the middle of the night because of time zone change just to watch you perform. If you don't have a fear of letting those people down, that's because you ain't never made it that far. All it means to me, if you don't know what fear of failure is and stage fright is, is you've never been in anything that actually matters. It doesn't make you sound cool. doesn't make you sound tough. It makes you sound, it's silly. So um, in terms of that, there's Mike Tyson's coach, Customato, talked about fear. And it's kind of like you said, where he's like, if you look at like just straight up the animal kingdom, the, the antelope gets chased by the predator, whatever it is the predator might be, and it's trying to be eaten. Now, ordinarily, that antelope can only run yay, fa- yay fast, jump yay high. A bolt of anxiety hits, and that fucking antelope, the, the adrenaline hits its body and its muscles, and clock the speed on it now, and they've done so, and it'll be running so much faster, jumping so much higher. It's almost like when you're playing a video game and you eat that mushroom and your character goes twice its size for a very brief moment. It's not going to last forever, but it's like a get out of jail free card, right? That's what adrenaline, scientifically, this is proven, can do for our body. Now there's catch 22. You only got so much adrenaline. You know, only going to last so long. So you got to use it wisely. If you use it all in squats, it's gone by deadlifts. However, if you're like, you know, rationing your adrenaline. So it is when the fear comes, you almost want to, it can either shell you up and you're so afraid that um, it makes you overly conservative and it, and it, you know, you're expending energy when you don't want to and, and whatnot. Or you could recognize, there it is. There's the fear. Okay. All right. We're here. But let's work with it. I, I need you. I thank you for coming. I need you because I'm not, I need the adrenaline. I need this. If I didn't have it, this wasn't going to move. So you almost come to terms with it. Like you were saying where you're like, I almost will fucking coax myself into making it a bigger deal in my head than it is where, where and people don't, when they watch, you know, some of the comments on other people's videos, like why so extra? Why? That's, that's a term that I fucking hate. That is extra. It's I haven't come across that one yet, but well, I can well, understand. People say funny. that. They're like, why is this lifter so extra with the setup? Why ex- They use the term extra. And it's like, <laughs> you don't know what the <laughs> shit. You don't know what it takes. You don't know what it takes to get yourself up there, to get yourself, you know, wound up, to be like that. You know, it's another term I hate. Where it's, and they go like cringe. And I can't wait until the term cringe dies out. Cringe AF. <laughs> like, man, what the shit? Everything's cringe, right? Where it's like, you don't understand where it, it becomes a mind game to get yourself wound up like that. And yeah. um, it is tough because if you use it too often, especially in training, I mean, you can't maintain that level of enthusiasm for like eight weeks because you're not, yeah. you're, you're, you're oh, it's gone. Yeah, oh, you're exhausted. It's true. You're like, it's like you got PTSD by the time you get home. You're exactly. like, I'm like, done. I by, fucked my head. By the time you, by the time you peek it out, you're already exhausted, half yeah. asleep. Like, yeah, you yeah. gotta use it wisely. Yeah, but it is. Um, it does help once you get. That's like one of the keys. That's why I. It's hard for me to see. Like some people, like Ellis McLean, will smile before he deads, and it's like, and I'm like, wow, you. But I don't know if um. So he must feel the adrenaline because adrenaline's real and it helps. So he must feel the adrenaline. It's just he does. It's just a way of how he deals with. Maybe maybe yeah. he feels it. And he smiles like, okay, it's there. But it has to be there, you would think. I can't imagine hitting PRs and not 
having that adrenaline going through my body yeah. and feeling like, yeah. oh, here we go. Like, like, have you ever tried to, have you ever doubled back, done a competition that's lower after you've already gone to worlds or gone to like big, big events? Have you ever doubled back to a competition that wasn't that big and tried to dig deep like that and not been able to? And be like, oh no. Um, the, I remember I did like a competition after worlds. It was uh, last year and it was called the Roses Cup. But, and the, the weight that was lifted was under, more than what I'd done. However, like my head changed the perspective. It might not be on RM, but I'm going to make this weight move like it's RPE 7. I'm going to move this through the, through the roof. It's going to move really well. So like, I just like changed my perspective a little bit. Like, like I don't, I don't think the same amount of hype came out because of the weight, but I was still like, right, we're going to, you know, there was still hype there. I remember someone recorded this actually, and I kept saying lightweight to the bar. And I'd be like, lightweight! Lightweight! No! <laughs> <Ronnie> Corbin! Lightweight! <laughs> so, like, because in my head, I'm like, I think it was my openers for Worlds I was doing for my third attempts at this, like, smaller competition. And I was like, all right, then. I got really nervous, especially my opener squat. I'm like, I woke it up, shaking all over the place. And my legs get really, really shaky. The more hyped I get, the less shaky the legs are. Oh. I'm sorry, but that works. So, like, um, so I was like, right, we need to make sure this, I think it, it was 160 I was uh, uh, opened at World, and I was nervous as hell for that. And I was like, right, 160 can't be a big deal. You want to squat 180. 160 needs to be like, you know, you're going to blow this shit up. So that's where, that's where how I went into the competition. And I did that with all my lifts. I was like, right, the attempt needs to be like, boom, done. It's all about perspective. It is, for sure. Do you get nervous, like, before, when a competition's rolling up, how nervous do you get leading like the week of the night before? Cause I feel, I, I read a lot like sports psychology. I love that shit. And um, I, I feel like, like a lot of the fighting combat sports I read into, but they deal with like emotions on a different level because if you lose, you're like for real humiliated, like knocked out in front of your family, like it's scary. Right. So their emotions are, yeah, their, their emotions are a lot higher. So it's, it's yeah. good to read how they deal with it. Cause it's like what other athletes might deal with times 10. Um, so I remember this one guy put in perspective well, where he's like the night before you got to stay positive because you're going to lean towards whatever, whatever way it is. We've all been in the gym where, um, or if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will eventually you approach a bar and you're like, this is, this is going to be heavy and you go for it and you miss. I've even reposted. I love when I find these, when some post this miss the lift, full on miss lift, not a technical thing, not nothing. It looked like strength person leaves gets the head on right now they're the same person they did not obviously get stronger in five minutes nothing changed technically come back with a a different mindset and hit that weight and they were like like technically speaking scientifically speaking nothing changed to the body the setup was the same because they you know you set up you have your routine when you have a big single it's just all a routine you're approaching it the same you yeah. don't even think about it. So it's not necessarily that. It's just sometimes you can get your head around it and you're like, come on, let's go. And you start using keywords like attack, et cetera. So this one guy named Randy Couture said he did some research and he said the, the Russian Olympic team would first off do positive reinforcement leading into an event where you list, you visualize positive outcomes. 
always positive outcomes because your physical body responds to the mental imagery. So if you're, for instance, I can, your, your mouth can start salivating if you picture a lemon, a knife going through it, you picture the contours of lemon, whatever, you will have a physical response to a mental imagery. We know this. So he's like, understand there's a connection there. So you have to picture, you know, positive reinforcements of hitting a lift, et cetera. And then also um, when it comes to like, like your, your nervousness, I can't sleep. You're not so nervous you can't sleep. That's a negative word. You're so excited, you can't sleep. That's a positive word. Just, just, just changing the frame. I'm not yeah. so nervous I can't eat. I'm so excited. I can't eat. You know what I mean? How do you feel? Excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're nervous? Nah, excited. Like, you know what I mean? It feels, excitement and nervousness feel very close, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Change the way you frame things and the way you look at things. That's like the first thing that's really going to help. Um, and he was saying, so that's what some of the key things he would do when I would, I would try using it. But, and also then once you come to terms with like, like anxiety is a shitty feeling to feel. Like everyone knows that. But yeah. once you tell yourself this is necessary, it's necessary. Otherwise, I'm not going to lift what I need to lift. Like how do you feel when you show up and it's an international competition and everyone's watching on a live stream? What's it feel like knowing? And you got the union jack on your chest. Yeah, like it's, it's literally you got the union jack on your chest the night before Worlds. All the people you've seen in the powerlifting community are there. The live stream is going to be there. The big event, like it was in Sweden, where it's a packed house and everybody's debating who's going to do this, who's going to do what. And it's your that's it's the night before or the day of when you show up on the weigh-ins and everybody's single file. And there they are from all over the world. Everyone you see on social media and you're waiting to get weighed in. Like there's no nerves like that where you're like, Oh, it's about to happen. You know, it's such an amazing yeah, experience. Yeah. Honestly, just you describing it gets me excited. Me too, man, and I'm yeah, the one saying it. Because obviously we're all meant to be at Worlds, like, now as well. So it's like, yeah, oh. that's true too. That yeah. is true. Um, what, one thing that I have learned to do is, especially the week before a competition, I don't think about it too much because I – if I think about it too much, I'll get so nervous. I'm starting to waste energy. It's starting to be the only thing I'm thinking about. <clears throat> mm. And I don't want it to be like this huge, huge deal where it's like, oh my God, I'm going to Worlds. Like, cause I think it can become overwhelming. Like, oh my God, I'm going to Worlds. I'm representing my country. I had like a crowdfunder and I'm like, oh my God, all these people have helped me get here, blah, blah. And I let myself think about that because it becomes it becomes something else then, where I try and keep things really simple, and it doesn't matter where the stage is, it doesn't matter who's there. Weight is weight, and I'm there to lift the most amount of weight I can on that day. And all these external factors shouldn't impact how strong I am on that day. The only thing that can is me. I'm the person, I'm the mind that's controlling what I'm going to do. So I, do, I didn't go to world. I didn't show up on the competition day. Oh my God, world! I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to get on the bottom and live in the way I can live. So that's kind of how I, how I approached it. It's, uh, you're 100%, I heard a, a football coach one time giving a speech saying, um, focus on what you can control, and that is your effort. 
They, he, exactly. They're like, it yeah. doesn't matter. That is an exclusive relationship. You can be intimidated. If I intimidate you and, and you're, you're frightened in the moment and you give up 30%, you're, you're operating at 70% because your nerves got you shelled up. And everyone knows, like, look at not just powerlifting, but if I make you go in front of a crowd like your brother and you got to sing and dance and you're fucking nervous, you could tell. You could tell when someone's nervous. You gave that up, though. Nobody in the crowd took away 30% off your 100% effort. You gave that up yourself. It's your decision. So it's, that's the, basically what he said before a big game. He's like, it's your decision right now, fellas. When you step on that, the other team can do whatever they want. You can give 100% or you can give 70 But don't tell me that they made you give 70 You, that's up to you. That's up to you. It's, yeah. it's, it's an exclusive choice, relationship. It's an exclusive. You are the God of your, your outcome. And um, something that I would help alleviate pressure for myself in terms of like winning and losing, winning and losing. It's that all or nothing mentality it, for everything in life that'll hold people back. Successful people don't have an all or nothing mentality. I either win and I succeeded or I lose and I'm a failure. And this is, here's, here's something that, so going back to like idols and people that I look, we looked up to when we were younger. One person that I looked up to was Evander Holyfield, who was a boxer. Okay. And here's, here's when Holyfield became my idol, which seems kind of weird, but it wasn't just me. So, so bear with me. I remember everyone knows Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was crazy famous. He was the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, he ended up losing to Buster Douglas and Buster Douglas was a 42 to one underdog. The biggest sports underdog in history, regardless of sport, all throughout time, 42 to 1. And Mike barely trained. He was young, like 24 years old, gallivanting around, doing his thing. Showed up and, and got the piss beat out of him. And Douglas took his title. And everyone's like, if they rematch, Mike's going to beat the hell out of him, take his title back. Um, but Evander Holyfield was the number one contender. So they offered Holyfield step aside money, be like, step aside, let Mike fight Buster, right this wrong, and then you fight Tyson like you were supposed to. Holyfield said, no, sir, I'm going to fight Buster because I earned my shot. Then I'll fight Mike as the champion. I'm going to make a little more money. So he fights Buster Douglas, destroys Douglas, just like everyone thought Tyson would have. And everyone's like, well, that's great. You beat Buster Douglas, but you didn't beat Mike Tyson. So you're not the man. You're the champion, but you're not the guy that Mike Tyson was. Then yeah. he's like, all right, let me fight Tyson then. Tyson goes to jail for four years, completely out of the picture. So now you have a Vander Holyfield who's a champ, but he never beat the guy, so he doesn't have that kind of respect. Respect. He beat Douglas easy. He, he defends the title three times, and three times successfully defends the title, and three times the, the press, the media, the public is like, you're good, but you're not Mike Tyson. He was winning, but he, you're not – the guy you didn't beat Mike you're not so and he was he was a champion but they said you're a paper champion and um even though he's winning not until he fought Riddick Bowe who was younger faster stronger bigger Riddick Bowe outweighed him by like 35 pounds the whole night um he fought Riddick Bowe and Riddick Bowe I remember watching the fight when I was a kid he beat Evander Holyfield from like pillar post to pillar post and Holyfield's lips were swollen up, eyes closed. Holyfield had never been dropped. He dropped Holyfield to a knee. And Holyfield, like, it got to a point where the commentators, like, they could, they could stop this fight. 
And Holyfield would, round after round, answer that bell and get off his stool because he was fighting for, like, that recognition, that acceptance that you guys never would give it to me. And it was that effort where he's like, I'm going to show you what a heart of a champion really is. And he would rally back. And in the middle round started at one point staggered Riddick Bow and Bow was like rocked back and the crowd rose to the feet. And it was that dogged, if you're going to take it from me, you're going to have to lay me out. And I'm not just here to survive. I am coming to win. And it never stopped, even though it got to the point where the last 10, two rounds after the 10th round is called the championship rounds because it only championship uh, fights are scheduled for 12. And it was like, it was clear as day. Holyfield was so far behind on points that he wasn't going to win a decision. And it was clear as day because he had hit Bo with his hardest shots, staggered him but couldn't drop him, that he wasn't going to knock Bo out. He was going to lose. There was no way he was going to win. And he fought, kept getting off his stool and answering the bell to accept his beating and keep fighting. And he fought anyways, regardless of the outcome. He was like, that's fine. I'm going to lose, but I'm not going to stop fighting. And after that fight, in losing, the next day, the media and everybody was like, heart of a champion. Evander Holyfield shows what a championship heart is. All you heard was heart and champion. My man lost. And that's what, as a kid, you understood. Take the pressure off yourself. It's not about winning and losing all the time. It's not about... You can win and be called a paper champion. You could lose and everyone talks about the heart you showed. It's the effort. It's the, yeah. just, just take the pressure off yourself. That outcome is out of your hands, but you will fucking awe the people with your heart. You know what I mean? And that's oh, what yeah. helped me. Cool. Definitely. It's I all about, that. it's all about perspective all over again. Right? <laughs> we even use it, but it's true. It Absolutely. is. I remember a really big turning point uh, for myself was um, nationals in 2017, where I I'd won um, the nationals and I felt really disappointed in myself because I believed I let my head get in the way of achieving the best I could on that day, and it was one of those competitions where there was a lot of things that was out of my control. So like the warm area, there wasn't enough weights, there wasn't enough stations. Um, there was the there was no screen, so you didn't know when you had to like uh, go onto the platform. You're constantly going backwards and forwards, and um, the weigh-in times was changed. Everything there was so much that was out of my control, and I got engulfed in that far too much mm. to the point where I actually couldn't get hyped because my heart rate was already that high the whole day I was trying to control it and I didn't perform very well and I think I only made five of my nine lifts and when I I failed a squat because I went onto my onto my toes which is quite um it's a difficult thing for me because of the way my ankles are um so it was I was really disappointed that I let myself get onto my toes and I remember running off the platform and then going and crying and I was like that's disgusting I was like, that's not a champion's mindset right there that's 
excuse my French, but that's a little bitch. Like you need to, you need to get over yourself. Like if you can't control it, then don't fret about it. And I was getting, I could feel myself getting stressed. And I was like, I'm getting stressed about stuff that I can't, I've got no control over. And that was when I started writing a um, competition diary. And it was that competition when I remember coming away from a competition and I was so upset with myself. I didn't care that I won. I didn't care that I got British records and that I got PBs anyway. It was the way I acted and it was the way that I wasn't able to get the most out of myself because of the way that I let external factors affect me. And I wrote all this down in a book and I was like, right, well, it's time to progress. It's time to learn all of these mistakes that I made and put them into the next competition. Um, and that's when I went up as a, that was my last junior competition and it was my last competition as a 63 um, and then the year after in 2018 that was when I went uh, down to 57 and I was a senior lifter and I was like I need to make sure I keep it simple control what I can control um, and just do the best I can on the day if you can here it is if you can coax yourself into having a good day you could coax yourself into having a bad day too Oh, you yeah. gotta be careful. You gotta be mindful of your thoughts. Here's another thing that the, the Russian Olympic team was using that this MMA fighter who had, he was a, before he was an MMA fighter, he was an Olympic level wrestler. So he had inroads to Olympic teams and made friends with people. So this is where he got um, this information from in terms of sports psychology. And they said, sometimes when you're experiencing a day, like you were experiencing, um, if, if I was in, in your shoes, if I was to try to use the same methods, I would use key words and phrases. For me, it would have been like Holyfield, going back to when I was a child and I seen that. And, um, and just, I would just repeat to you, you just repeat to yourself, if it's a word, a phrase, or an image. Because I had specific images, like I've said earlier about, are ingrained in you and you just fucking remember how you, the reason why you remember that image or that event is how you felt when you seen it. And I remember yes. being, I was young and I saw that happen and I could, Till the day I die, I will remember the look at, on Bo, Riddick Bowe's face, Venner Holyfield's face. I'll remember the commentator saying, like, we're watching something special. You know, and I remember feeling what I felt being like, holy fuck, if I could ever be as brave as that guy right now. You know, and um, yeah. Yeah. if you use that, when you start feeling overwhelmed and these external factors coming in on you, and you start using those key phrases, key imageries, key whatever to bring your mindset back and that's what they would the sports psychologists would say is hone in on that use it and, and try yeah. to try to ready your mindset it's not it's easier said than done you know in the day-to-day -day, but it's true and um you could almost be like or you start being like you know not to pick on riddick bow but um if things start happening externally that aren't outside of your control you start being like that's riddick bow right there yeah yeah that's riddick bow nice. okay okay I see you. You know what I mean? You coming. All yeah, right. Yeah. But I don't back up though. I don't make excuses. I answer the bell. And you start doing these eternal dialogue and fights and you're lifting yeah. weights. You're not fighting a boxing match, but you start being yeah. like, you're five, you're five minutes out. And when you get the call, bars loaded, that's the bell. Evander, Evander Holyfield answers that fucking bell. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And like, it yeah. doesn't matter what Riddick Bowe's doing. And you start using these things. And this is where when people see like lifters like yourself walk in there hyped up and, and, and ready to attack, they're like, why, why? It's like, because man, this is the shit you do. This is what people do at certain <laughs> levels, man. It ain't easy. 
when, when you when you started when you started lifting, when you decided uh, to start powerlifting, and then the IPF had the classic division, and then you probably watched the IPF blow up, um, and like not new lifters came in, standards exploded the whole nine. What was your impression? Because you hopped in there before there was the live. I remember the time period, man. I remember watching the Arnold Classic. My friend was lifting at the Arnold Classic. There was no live stream. I had a score sheet. And if I hit the refresh button, it fucking refreshed the score sheet for me. And that was me watching powerlifting at like 2010, which is Uh-oh. pathetic, which is <laughs> pathetic. Let's call it what it is. I'm drinking beers, refreshing a score sheet, right? So you, you were around then to like live streams to before Instagram. And then you saw people getting Instagram, Instagram famous podcast. What the fuck was a podcast in 2011? Now everyone's on a podcast, the whole nine. What was your impression when you started seeing the sport blow up and you're almost progressing with it? Oh, it, I just think it, it was, I don't know how to describe it. Just because I was sort of like growing with it. It's not until you like take a step out of the bubble and look at it from the outside and be like, whoa, where did all these people come from? Like, look at all these people that love what you love to do, lifting, lifting things. And it's as simple as that. All you're doing is you're lifting something with space. I think, I think it's incredible that like so many people so quickly um, attach them, attach themselves to the sport and, and people get a lot from it. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it like it blinked almost it was like this massive thing all of a sudden i didn't even get into them until 2018 i think um you didn't what sorry i didn't get instagram until about 2018 oh damn you were late into it yeah so like all i noticed really was there'd be more people at competitions um and like you know the the entry level would slowly go up and you know obviously I saw a lot of like female only classes and stuff in the gyms I was working in or the gyms I was going to and I saw more females join into the field and you know I just like like you know wow there's loads of people like wanting to do wanting to do this sport that like I've been doing you know for for a while and and yeah, it was just, it was really cool. And the atmospheres got bigger and bigger at competitions. So yeah, so I was really late to the game with Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, so first of all, I want to ask you another question. About how are you doing for time? Because I know you got to go to work. Um, I have, um, so I'm thinking, let me look at uh, the time. Um, I'd say quarter two um, would probably be a good idea. Okay, to 20 more I'm minutes. I work. Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm sorry to be rude. Um, I'm just going to quickly uh, message my person that I'm working with. They're asking if I can leave earlier. I'm like, no. <laughs> they're asking what, sorry? So, um, so the work I'm doing, I'm doing care assistant work at the moment. Um, and they've just asked me if I can pick them up earlier. And I'm like, no, sorry. We, I'm, I'm, one of the, I know, I'm one of these people who like, my life's quite like, you, like timed well. So yeah. I'm just like, like no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, sorry. <laughs> I, no worries. No worries. You do you. Um, yeah. Cause I was, I, I'm glad. Cause I knew you got to go to work. Appreciate your time, by the way. Um, Thank you for asking me on. I feel massively privileged. No. Well, I mean, you're, you're lifting 
has gone to like a like I remember you at World Championships, obviously. Like I'm, I'm the commentator and um, seeing you and you were a standout lifter. Um, but even like your approach, the intensity you brought, like I love that. Like I get inspired when I see that kind of thing. And then when you hit that that squat PR uh, double, and I reposted. Let me double this back for you now. I don't look at you. You might be coming through and being like, I don't remember having sporting idols necessarily. I don't, I don't remember, you know, and, and all right. But, and I can tell you, like, I for sure did. I, some things impacted the shit out of me. Like, like that story, Donovan Bailey, et cetera. Um, And, and you, you know, you're, you're just hopping on Instagram, but when I post like that video, and people see how hyped you are before you hit that. And then they see you afterwards, literally break down crying. You wanted it so bad and what it meant to you. There are people who DM me, women like across the world, because King of Lifts is, is across the world, man. And powerlifting is across the world. Are like, that shit is so inspiring. It, it brings them, like it brings them. And, and you might not even realize like, you know, you might be that person for some people. They might be getting into it and seeing like, I want to be like Bobby Butters. Or when they approach the bar and they're looking for a sense of strength, they might be telling themselves, Bobby Butters. Instead of holding me. It's really weird. (laughs) Think about that. And Uh, look, I'm telling you right now, there are people DMing me you know, I mean, you got guys like Lane Norton who are posting in your comments being like, holy shit. I know. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> but, but that's the power of it. That's the power of like um, inspiration and motivation. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, that's also where, you know, when you're, when you're about to do something on, on a big level, you don't want that to get in your head. Be like all the people that are counting on me, et cetera. I can't yeah. let them down. Yeah. However, another way of putting in perspective, man, I didn't, fall in love with Evander Holyfield, neither did the public until he lost and showed heart. As long as you give 100%, you're never going to let people down. They don't give a shit if you win or lose. But has that, have you felt that change in terms of, or are you starting to, do you think the next world might be where people, there's going to be some recognition. And when you show up at competition, some, some people might be like, there's Bobby Butters. Or there might be some 16-year-old girls finding powerlifting finding king of the list and seeing who's out there, who's out there around my size with my back. Who do I identify with? And Evander Holyfield, I don't identify with him at all. You have no background. <laughs> so you don't even need to super identify to tell you the truth, but um, I'm not tall, dark and handsome, but, uh, but yeah, but you can identify, right? And uh, is that kind of, do you ever think about that kind of thing? I, I have, I have more recently, definitely because I, like I get like people messaging me saying like, oh, I've showed your videos to like my son and daughter and like they're really inspiring. I remember something that really hit me um, and I was just like, whoa, what was when I was coaching a competition and one of the lifters came up to me and um, she basically said, when I'm going to go and lift today, I'm going to try and contact my inner Bobby. And I was like, what? You That's it. What now? <laughs> That's it. You see what I'm saying? I was like, this is what? This is crazy. Like I didn't realize like 
yeah, the, that sort of impact or anything. I'm just here doing what I love and and that's kind of it. And I'm just sort of like, you know, put, putting it out there. So, you know, the fact that like that sort of thing comes around is, is insane. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I became a coach to try and help people. I've been a personal trainer for literally most of my life. So, you know, if I, if I can help people, then that's amazing. So if I'm helping people like, you know believe they can do whatever the hell they want to do then amazing that's then, then that's yeah i can't even put it into words yeah yeah it is it, it almost inspires you that you inspire them because you're like i gotta be better i gotta do better i gotta like like if, if someone ever tell like i it's weird because you are you and you uh you'll never like you'll never not be even like no shit. But what I'm saying is like, um, it feels the same. No matter what happens in your life, life feels the same. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how many people follow you, how many people, whatever, you still wake up in the morning and it doesn't feel different when you wake up in the morning, when you eat your breakfast, when you have your coffee, when you go do your routine, you're still you. But the one thing that you do start doing is you start recognizing, you know, some people want to be that person who shoots from the hip. Hey, I say whatever the fuck you know, this is my, or they actually purposely try to get a negative reaction by trolling a little bit and being, being a little shitty, but whatever. And, um, but sometimes you're also like, I want to make sure I carry myself a certain way. Cause there are some, pe- I don't want to let certain people down with the way I carry myself as well. You know? So I understand, you know, I mean, in powerlifting, I don't want to contradict myself cause I don't mind a little bit of trash talk just to hype some things up. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way you carry yourself. Like if you're at an event and someone wants to come up, talk to you or whatever. Like for instance, that fucking 300 pound dude who sauced up on juice and could easily, that story could have went the other way. That, you leave an impression on people. And if someone, it would be gutting to know that someone looked up to you. And, and it was tough for them to come to, you just remember when they finally came up and talked to you, you have no idea that all day they had seen you in the warm up room, seen you at the event, maybe a couple days earlier and just were like, ah, not right now. She's busy. Ah, not a good time. And then when they finally do, when they finally do come and see you and, uh, you know, just be mindful, like this person might look up to you, you know, and you don't think, you don't think anything of it. Cause you might be like, it's me what the shit so you just don't react that way and i get it but it is like sometimes i try to think about things like man just be careful about the footprint you leave on people it could go either way that impression could go either way i mean it's it's weird and you'll probably only feel it at international or national events you know probably not necessarily in your day-to-day but um yeah i mean it's it's a trip isn't it yeah one thing one thing I do experience sometimes from my day to day is when I obviously at the minute we're not training in gyms over here but when I train at the gym I'm very antisocial. I train by myself I don't really talk to talk to people because I'm very much like in the zone sort of thing um and whenever I like go and talk to someone or I get sometimes people approach me and they've seen they look terrified and I'm like are you okay um like because and I remember someone saying to me oh it's taken me so much courage to like come and talk to you and I'm like looking at them like oh why I'm so confused like it's okay I'm not gonna fight you um like and then like you know start talking to them and then they're like oh you're so nice I'm like 
what I, i'm so i just get really comfortable i get perplexed by it i'm just like i'm you know i might not talk to people whilst i'm training but like you know i'm still i like to talk to people and i like to be social that's probably why i avoid talking to people because when i'm otherwise i'll be in the gym for like 10 hours <laughs> been there I'm that dude who hangs out. They're like, are you training right now? But like, I was done like an hour ago. I'm just <laughs> vibing right now. I'm just soaking it up. <laughs> I'm that dude who's there for like way too long. That's why sometimes I purposely put on headphones and I'm not trying to be any social, but I'm like, I need to get this work done or else like yeah. I'll be, you can't be 10 minutes in between sets and I could easily talk too much and be like, fuck me, I'm cooling down right now. Yeah, yeah, that you got like that's that's kind of the mindset I go into because I know a few people in the gym. It's not a powerlifting gym; we're just training it in just a standard gym. Um, but I know people and stuff, and I know if I start talking to someone, like I feel rude as well if I say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just training. I'm just going to go and do this." So I just avoid everything. Pop headphones on. Sometimes I don't even play music. I'm just popping them on. There's almost like ah, oh, you that person. Oh, there you go. Oh shit! You just outed yourself, by the way. I I don't hope people who are listening are like they see you at the gym. Like, are you really listening to music right now? Are you listening to me talking shit? <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, they're like, I listen to Kingless podcast. I got you. Oh, uh, so yeah, that's I just because I feel rude as well. Just feeling like, oh, sorry, I'm just training. Um, so I just avoid that whole like interaction with people yeah <laughs> and then often i'm like hi <laughs> yeah you could talk afterwards it is what it is is there as, was there anybody that you met like after you got into powerlifting etc that you did look up to that you were like you know holy smokes this is that person and when you meet them you're like oh wow yeah definitely there's a hundred percent been people like that um like I get asked this question quite a lot where I get in, I get kind of inspired by anybody, I guess it's something from my childhood, but anybody who's willing to put in hard work and they're passionate and dedicated to something. But there's definitely been many, many people that I've just looked up and I'm like, you are badass. Like, this is awesome what you're able to do. Like, you know, all the way from sub juniors all the way to, to master's levels. Like I've got an athlete, for example, he may, he may even listen to this. Um, and he's 60 years old. He's had two knee surgeries, two shoulder surgeries, and he went and represented Team GB this year. Yeah. I'm like, what? And he come from a, an endurance background. So he's done like long distance cycling, triathlon, and he won four bronze medals at Masters European Championships. I'm like, you are insane. That's, that's inspiration because you are dedicated enough to do that. Um, so, you know, anyone who's just willing to put in that amount of effort into something i think i just look up to everybody no matter what line of work you're in as well um but like there's definitely when i went to world and it was my first world i was finally able to go to um there were so many people that i just was like oh my god look who it is look who it is <laughs> like i remember oh this is insane actually um when i met kimberly walford and i walked over to her and she was at the SPD stand and I was like, right, I need to keep my cool, you know, I need to not go off. I'm like, oh my God, you're amazing. So I went off and I was just like, hi. And she was, she said to me, you're incredible. Well done. And I was just like starstruck. Like, what? How the hell do you know who I am when you're you? Um, and it was just, I immediately was just like, well, ditto. Like, you are insane. And I remember um, Isabella 
Weisenberg. Oh, yeah. Oh my, she did the same thing. And I was literally like, like a proper star, like starstruck person, fangirling over all these people that I've been watching on Instagram for the past few years. And I was just like, this is a myth. And I'm, yeah, I was amazed by the whole thing. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to stay in that powerlifting bubble. <laughs> I, I remember Kimberly Walford one time I messaged, this is years ago. And um, I messaged on, on Facebook and I haven't been on Facebook in a long time. So this shows you how far back this was. It was like USAPL Facebook page. And I posted in the comments a question to the page. And like two days went by, nobody responded or whatever. Um, and Kimberly Walford personal messaged me. And this is before I was IPF commentator, Kingless or anything like that. Okay. So we didn't know each other and she didn't know me from nothing. I and mean, we're not, we didn't see each other around in events because I'm in a different country and everything. So we don't. And Kimberly's like, hey, I noticed you had posted. No one had got back to you, just so you know. And she gave me the information herself. I'm like, you fucking work for the USA Bill. No, nah, I just want, I've seen you. i seen no one got back to you. I just want to make sure you got your information you wanted. Oh, and I'm like. It's yours. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the shit? Talk about someone who lives up. And this was private comment. This is a private message. This wasn't even a comment. She was like. She's not trying to show up to look good in front of everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She slid in the DMs like, yeah, here it is, whatever. Like the world yeah. champ at the time, you know, it was, yeah. that's genuine. Um, it's a, uh, it's, I love it when people surprise you like that. I remember um, I read a lot of autobiographies and this one guy was saying he was a boxer and he was, he moved to Detroit, like Detroit of all cities, moved to Detroit, which is an intimidating place. Didn't know anybody in the city, let alone the boxing gym. He's an amateur. And in the gym, the biggest name, the Kimberly Walford of that gym, would be a guy named Thomas Hitman Hearns, who was a professional, several-time world champion, fighting Sugar Ray Leonard and, like, was it, like, you know, multi-millionaire pay-per-views the whole night. And he, he said he shows up into the gym, and he's scared shitless. He's like, I don't got a friend. Nobody knows me. The city's scary. So even when I leave the gym, I'm like, holy shit, this is Detroit. He's like really out of his element. Shows up in the morning, and he's like hitting the bag, but he's so timid. And he's afraid to raise his hand to get the coach's attention because there's so many world-class professionals. He's an amateur. And um, so he's super-duper timid. And then oh, – Fucking Tommy Hearns walks in the room and everybody's like, oh, there's Thomas Hitman Hearns. And everybody knows who he is. His parents talk about, build him up. Like you're, when your parents idolize the guy, it's scary. Okay. And so he's talking about in this interview and he later became a world champion. So he ended up being the goods, but he's talking about when he was a kid and this happened. And he said, Thomas Hearns could caught the vibe. Who's this new kid? And so someone new in the environment and was checking him out. And could sense this guy's nervous. He's out of his element. He's probably like 18, moved away from home, and is whatever. And he said, at the end of like the second day, Thomas Hearns walked up to him and said, Hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? Knowing damn well my man doesn't have any plans. He doesn't know nobody. He's probably afraid to leave his. And, and Thomas is like, I'm having a barbecue. A couple of the fellas, why don't you come over? We have a couple of beers and we shoot the shit. No, we'll put some, put some chicken in your stomach. What do you say? And the guy's like, it's fucking Thomas Hearns. <laughs> he's like, well, I guess. Like, of course. And he's like, when your idol lives up, there's nothing like it. When you're like, and then you show up the next Monday, like, yeah, if Thomas Hearns thinks I'm a good guy, all of a sudden you're loosed up. 
you know, you're talking to people at the gym. Like, hey, what's up? What are you saying, Tony? Like, you're, 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 it just loosens it up. And he talks about like, man, I'll never forget that. You know, so it's, um, it's wild when that kind of, when you take into consideration, like, when you go to an event like that, sometimes your idols live up. Sometimes they do not. Yeah. Like, I've heard stories, not going to throw names out there, where powerlifters were, it's disappointing, where people, even young people are like, man, I met so-and-so. Wasn't quite what I was hoping for. <laughs> Wasn't the Tommy Hearn situation. Um, listen, yeah. we only got two minutes left, uh, one minute left. Before I, let, before I let you go, first off, thank you for your time, Bobby. Um, I mean, shit, we could have we crushed a lot longer, I know, but it is, this time is not our friend. Um, before I let you go, when all is said and done and you look back at your powerlifting career, how do you want to be remembered? I want the main thing that's important to me is knowing that I tried my absolute best. So I want to be remembered as the person that was able to try her absolute best, regardless of regardless of whatever situation, whether I become world champion or whether I'm in the top ten or whatever. I just wanna I just wanna be able to try my best, and I wanna inspire people that no matter the competition no matter where you are no matter what it is you're lifting to, to try your best to put a hundred percent into everything you do no, well said um is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to in terms of a thank you whatnot before we let you go oh my gosh where, where do i start i think the biggest thank you is definitely uh to, to my partner um He's my coach, business partner, and my actual partner. Um, <laughs> he's my everything. I know. He's, uh, his name's Ryan Hayes. He's helped me in so many different ways, um, mentally, physically, obviously, again, be, being my coach. Um, and, yeah, he, he's incredible. And just, yeah, thank you to everybody who has shown kindness and, and support. Uh, obviously, yeah, all my friends, all my family, yeah, just uh, – yeah, they're all great. I feel very fortunate uh, to know so many amazing, wonderful people. And do you do coaching online services? I do, yes. Yeah. How do people get a hold of you? Um, probably at this stage in my life. Uh, we have got a company, but uh, just contact me through Instagram, me directly, which is just literally Bobby Butters. Um, it's probably the uh, easiest way. I haven't set up the business officially yet because I only finished my master's two months ago. So... <laughs> Uh, man, yeah, I, I tell you what, I got news for you. you. You could do a website. You could do all those beautiful things. 85% are going to come through your social media anyways. Right? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what, what has happened. Like, uh, that's another reason why we haven't actually officially launched because everyone just kind of like went for my Instagram anyway, or for kind of word of mouth. So it's been able to build without us actually having to launch it. So yeah. for right now, that's, that's the best thing. Yeah, just contact me through my social medias. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You're going to drop X amount of dollars and it's got to make sense. You know, if you have a pun in there, see what I did there? If it don't make dollars, don't make sense. Yeah. Um, if, if 80% are come from social media anyways, you might as well kick, kick it there. And Bobby Butters is such an easy one. You know, when people are like, just follow me on Instagram and they got some crazy ass handle with like, it's like, ah, that's not going to be easy to remember. You can't look at, I chose six pack lap of that because it flows off the tongue and everyone remembers it. Bobby yeah. Butters, 
you, you don't touch that. Nobody gives you a nickname. You're not going to beat that. Your parents did you good. You know, they, they set you right for life for branding purposes. There you go. Uh, you know it's just a quick one then. On that note, I actually, my birth name was Bobby Gate. And it was my dad who changed it back to his dad's name um, when I was two years old. So my dad did me a solid there then. There it is, Pops. He knew. Probably because already you were fucking doing lap pull downs in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> he's like nah it's bobby butters out there getting it in getting it in listen thank you for coming on bobby much appreciated i'll let you get out of here and get ready to go to work but um keep in touch keep in touch yeah, definitely and thank you so much for inviting me on here um it's been amazing we could definitely talk for another two hours i feel as well we'll do it again we'll talk again i'm sure yeah, yeah, and hopefully we'll be seeing each other at a competition in the future. Fingers crossed, man. The World Championships, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what That's happens. That's right. 2020's <laughs> lit. But uh, have a good one. Talk to you later. Much appreciated. Yeah. Talk to you later. Have a great day, and I'll see you later. Yeah.